Good morning, Bridge. You know, my favorite part of that video is those two old guys sparring. I just, <laughs> I still got it in me. I could do this. I could do this. <laughs> So good to see you guys this morning. You that are online, so glad that you're with us today for our services. Uh, Pastor Randy is a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, he tells me a story about many years ago. He was preaching a message on ways to reach the lost, and in those days, uh, there were some pretty interesting ideas. I'll call them interesting ideas about how to grow a church, how to reach the lost. And, and so he listed three in his sermon that day. He said, he talked about biological growth. You can have more children. You can populate the nursery and lead your own children to the, to the Lord. Uh, you can go door to door, evangelism explosion. Some of you are old enough to remember that, that you used to go door to door and they used to say, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? Kind of this kind of in your face kind of approach to things. Or you can do street corner preaching. You could stand on the corner and say, repent or be damned while we all go to hell, uh, heaven, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and, uh, after the service, he said an 80-something lady came to him and said, Pastor, if it's all right with you, I'll just have more children. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't blame her. Uh, but what if, what if there was another way than those that I've just listed? We're in a series, a little mini-series. We're wrapping it up today, just a two-message series that we're calling Testify, the Fifth Gospel. As I explained last week, the four Gospels, of course, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were the stories, the story of Jesus through the lens of their experience, Matthew's experience, Mark's experience, John, uh, and Luke's experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the fifth gospel is the story of Jesus through the lens of your experience. I'm not saying your experience is equal to scripture. We're just saying that frankly, most people will read your testament before they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's testimony. And so we have to think about our testimony. We have to be prepared to do that. And, and, it's, and so that's what we learned last week is that all of us have been subpoenaed to testify. Let's read the key verse from last week again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Get it in your wheels, get your wheels turning, get you thinking. Those of you that are new can pick up and join us at this point. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't be obnoxious about it. Don't hit people over the head with two-ton Bibles, but always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. We learned last week that we've all been subpoenaed as a Witness, we also learned last week that it's my job to prepare you to be prepared. Um, now, there's some people, as soon as I start talking about this, there are people that go, hey, let's go. You know, let's go charge hell with squirt guns. Point us in the right direction, Pastor. We're going. Let's go. Let's go knock on doors or heads for Jesus. I don't care. Let's go. And there's some of those. And there are others of you, probably more of uh, the others, that as soon as I start talking about this, your palms start getting sweaty and you start looking at your watch. And you're so glad this is a mini-series and not a full six-week series because you might find reasons not to be in church because it's just scary stuff. He here's the problem. I just want to identify this very clearly before we get into today's message. The problem is, according to Barna, who does this kind of research, 90% of Christians believe that it is vitally important that we share our faith. 84% of Christians surveyed said that they can point their own salvation to a person or small group of people who shared their faith with them. Might have been a mama or a grandma or a preacher or a, a, a friend or somebody, but they can point back to somebody that shared their faith. But here's the, here's the breaker. Only 20% of Christians surveyed say we actually share our faith on a regular basis. Uh, guys like me have clearly failed to prepare you to 
be prepared to do just that. The good news is, and the point I'm trying to make, is it's just not as scary as Satan would have you believe it is. In fact, what you're simply doing is you're joining the conversation that God is already having with somebody else. You're just coming into the mix and coming along, along for the ride for a little while. If you missed last, mes- last week's message, I encourage you to go online and get it and dig into this because these two weeks are really critical in all of our lives as we share our faith. And, uh, but here's what I want you to do. I'm just trying to give you the tools. I'm trying to empower you to be prepared to go out there and share your faith. To do that today, I want to unpack a story from the New Testament. It's a story of Philip, sometimes called Philip the Evangelist, as a matter of fact, story of Philip uh, who did exactly what I'm suggesting that we all need to be doing. And I want to lay it out for you just as clearly as I can so that you can have your marching order, so you can have your roadmap. Uh, and I, it just reveals, his story reveals five key essentials if we're going to be effective witnesses, if we're going to testify of Jesus Christ to those people in our lives. So get your notes, get your bit by, uh, Bridge NC app open, go to notes, save it to your own journal, take notes, get a piece of paper out, write this down, it'll be on the screens. This is critical stuff. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning, most of the time, uh, starting with verse 26. So let's get right into it. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 35 is the story. Let's start with verse 26. Here we go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. So let me give you just a little bit of context to the story before we get too far into it. Earlier in chapter eight, we see that Philip is in Samaria. Philip and Peter have gone to Samaria and they're sharing their faith. They're telling people about Jesus and God is doing amazing things. I mean, people are being healed. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. People are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just powerful stuff going on in Samaria and right in the middle of all that powerful, amazing ministry, an angel comes and taps on Philip's shoulder and says, I want you to leave here and go. And that's exactly what Philip did. He just packed up and went. So let's just right off the bat, just be honest, okay? I doubt, first of all, that many of us have ever had an angel tap on our shoulder. No takers, okay? And and even if we had some sort of prompting or if we had an angel tap on our shoulder, uh, if things are going really well right now, is it natural to just stop and go do what we sense the Lord telling us to do? doesn't come naturally to most of us. Well, that's probably not fair. I don't know that I can say most. I'll just say me, okay? It just doesn't come naturally to me to do that. And I still can remember the first time that I had that experience very soon after I came to Christ. I came to Christ my senior year in high school. In fact, the night before baccalaureate uh, from high school and, and that summer, one of my high school buddies went straight into the army <coughs> out of school <coughs> and he came home late in the summer after basics. He came home for a little furlough a little leave time, and, and, uh, and he came to church that night. Well, I had come to Christ while Donnie was gone, uh, and Donnie had grown up in the church just like me, but he had not given his life to Christ, and so we sat together through church, and at the end of the service, the pastor opened the altars for people to come, and the Holy Spirit prompted me, God prompted me, an angel tapped on my shoulder, whatever expression you want to use, I got this sense that if you'll just lean over and say, hey, Donnie, I'll go to the altar with you, he'll go. He, he's ready to give his life to Jesus, and I went, mm, no, he'll think I'm crazy. He doesn't even know I've gotten saved. And so I sat there. 
they're singing a song, and while they're doing it, people are going to the altar, and, and, and while they're singing, I'm sitting there going, no, no I don't think you know. Jab, but just lean over, just lean over and, and tap his shoulder. Lean over and put your hand on his knee. Just do something, because that's all he needs is a prompt from you to go. And I fought and fought and argued and argued. The next thing I know, Miss Evelyn Hester, who was our high school Sunday school teacher, was sitting behind us, and she leaned up between us and said, Donnie, I'll go to the altar with you if you want to go. And he nearly broke my legs climbing over me to get to the altar and he gave his life to Jesus that day. Donnie's a pastor in Bladen County, North Carolina these days and I could have been a part of that but I blew it because I didn't respond when God called. Even though my own salvation, the night I gave my life to Jesus, Wayne and JT were in the altars, and Wayne looked at JT and said, you know, I think we should go talk to Jim. And he said, well, I don't know what to say. Wayne said, I don't either, but I think we're supposed to go. And so they did, and I don't know what they said. I don't know if they said anything when they came. I just bolted to the altar and gave my life to Jesus that night. So even knowing that it was somebody else's obedience that brought me to the point of knowing Jesus, I still resisted the call when it came, and I promised myself that night I would will never disobey that call again. Well, here's Philip being told by an angel, drop what you're doing, go down this desert road, and hear me, this is no simple task. The, the road to Gaza is about 65 miles long. It's a desert road. If you could walk 20 miles a day, that's a big deal. But if you walk 20 miles a day, we're talking about three days and two nights of traveling down a desert road. But Philip didn't bat an eye. He just went. Which brings us to the first key, the first essential to being an effective witness, and that is we need an open heart. We need an open heart. The point I simply want to make before we move on is that sharing your faith with other people has far less to do with those people than it does with what's going on in your heart. Your Christians say to me all the time, well, you know, I don't know what I would say or, or I don't know. They would ask questions I wouldn't have answers or, or, or they're just, I don't think those people want to talk uh, about God. And they've got all kinds of reasons why those people or that person or, or these other people won't. I, don't, I can't because they, when in fact the issue most of the time is not them. It's, you want to say me or you want me to say it? It's me. So I just wonder, I just wonder what would happen in Wayne, Johnston County and beyond if, if, if all of us every day woke up every morning and just made this part of our morning routine to pray, Lord, please help me love people today the way you love people and point me in the direction you want me to go as I go through my day. Just wonder what would happen. Happen. Now, let me warn you, if you say those prayers, you, you might be surprised with where God takes you. I'm going to show my age, but I was, it was 1970 when I gave my life uh, to Christ. And the big complaint in those days among Christians, again, a few of you are old enough to remember this, the big complaint in those days was guys who had long hair and beards. Sorry, guys who have long hair and beards. But uh, that was, the, oh man, we were just, we were righteously indignant. No, we were judgmental about guys who had long hair and beards. And so that was a big deal. So I'm driving along one day on I-95 and here's this long haired bearded dude with a backpack standing on the side of I-95 hitchhiking, which is illegal to begin with. And I said, this, that hippie, that beatnik, that hobo, those are the nice terms that I used. Uh, 
He had a sign saying, help me get home. And I thought to myself, I kid you not, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's true. I thought to myself, you know, I'll help you. I'll get you a haircut and get you a shave and get you a bath. That's what I'll do. And drove around past him. Well, no sooner than I got past him, the Holy Spirit said, you know, that's somebody for whom Jesus died. Immediately came under conviction, got to the very next exit, came back around on the exit. By the time I got back around, he was gone. And I missed my chance. I'd like to think that there was somebody else that came along, but I, I don't suppose I'll know this side of heaven, if ever. But hear me. It's one thing for the Donnies of this world to be overlooked by you because there might be an Evelyn in their life. But we encounter people every day that you're the only Christian they'll encounter that day. We've got to have an open heart to say, Lord, you point, I'll follow. You say that way and I will go. You ready for the second essential? The second essential is you got to have open eyes. You got to have open eyes. So let's get back to Philip. So he starts along this desert road. So he's doing the, the, the big revival thing. Phenomenal things are going on. He packs up. He immediately takes off down this desert road. We pick it up in verse 27. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official who had gone to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know a lot of detail about why that Ethiopian went to Jerusalem to worship, but chances are he was a Jew, a lot of Jews in Ethiopia, and chances are he went to Jerusalem to worship because the Jews in those days went to the high holy festivals in Jerusalem, and, and so chances are that's what he went to Jerusalem for, and now he's headed back home, which means there probably were lots of people on that desert road headed back down to Gaza as they make their way back south across uh, the, the desert, across the Negev, and so uh, it's very possible that with the festival over, that Philip encountered a lot of people. But Philip noticed this guy. And the reason he noticed this guy, I'm convinced, is because his heart was open to the leading of the Lord and his eyes were open to see what God wanted him to see. His heart was open to love who God loved and his eyes were open to see who God wanted him to see and his ear was attuned to hear the Lord's voice when he called him. So the result was Philip got to come alongside a conversation that God was already having with this Ethiopian court official. Many of you, many of you know Mike and Debbie Moss. Mike and Debbie have been part of the Bridge family for 20 plus years. This past year, they made their move to Durant, Oklahoma. Maybe watching right now, Mike and Debbie, love you guys. They made their, their way to Durant, Oklahoma, where God's called them to plant a new church to reach out to the Choctaw Nation, as well as others in, in that region of the country. And, uh, and Mike texted me this week and asked me to pray. He said he'd been uh, in, at, at Lowe's. Uh, for something this week, and he ran across a guy that got into a conversation that turned into a 60-minute 60 60-minute 60 conversation, and by the time the conversation was over, the guy told Mike that he was in the business. He was an owner of a pot dispensary, and he told him that he hated his vocation and knew he needed to change. He just didn't know how to change, and before the conversation was over, he accepted Mike's invitation to come and him, bring his wife and come to Mike and Debbie's house today for a conversation about what the Bible actually says. So I'm asking you to do, I got Mike's permission to share that with you. Uh, I'm asking you to join me in that prayer. 
You know, every time you give to the Giving Life Fund, that's the kind of stuff you're supporting in places you don't even know about. But I'm praying that Mike and Debbie have a word in season for this couple that will help them come to know Jesus Christ. No doubt there were a lot of people in Lowe's that day. No matter, no doubt, Mike being the outgoing guy that he is could have had a conversation with anybody in that place. But Mike saw Aaron because the Lord led him to Lowe's that day and his eyes were open to see who God wanted him to talk to and he joined a conversation that apparently Aaron and God were already having Mike got to be in it. But what I need you to hear me say is this kind of stuff is not reserved for Philip the evangelist or for Mike and Debbie Moss. This kind of stuff happens for all of us. God will direct you to people that he's already in conversation with if you open your heart to love people the way God loves them and if you'll open your eyes to see what God sees. It might be the person next to you at work. It might be the one working out next to you in the gym. It might be one of your classmates in school. It might be the waiter at the restaurant you go to this afternoon. It might be somebody that you least expect. Might be the person you think is so far from God, there's no way that they're interested in what you have to say. But in fact, that person is in conversation with God even while you're wrestling with, no, no, I'm not going to, no, I can't talk to that person. Oh, no, I could never bring Jesus up to that person. But you have to listen with your heart and your eyes in order to be available to God to join the conversation and then you trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. So our prayer, even more full than the first one I gave you, is Lord, uh, give me an open heart to go where you send me. Give me open eyes to see who you're already in conversation with, and it's time for me to join that conversation. Ready for the third essential? He says, it's really simple stuff, but it's so critical that we get it and start thinking this way. The third essential is we need an open door. So you've got open heart, you've got open eyes, now you need an open door. So Philip hears the angel, he heads off down to Gaza Road, sees an official in the court of the queen of Ethiopia in the crowd. No doubt he's an imposing figure, he's, he's probably a wealthy guy. A lot of people are walking, riding on donkeys. He's riding in a beautiful chariot that would be suitable for the queen of Ethiopia, uh, entourage. And so a little intimidating to approach, I guess, but... Verse 29 says, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and do what? Hit him over the head with a two-ton Bible. Start preaching right away. Stop me when I get to the right phrase. Go to that chariot and what? Stay near it. We don't really know how long he stayed near it. We don't know everything he did while he was near it, but we do know that during the process of Philip coming alongside and, and running alongside, walking alongside the chariot, uh, he saw that the Ethiopian was reading the book of Isaiah, as any Jew, good Jew would have in those days. And he just simply asks at the appointed time, he said, so uh, you understand what you read? And the Ethiopian said, well, I, how could I? I've never had anybody explain it to me. And the next thing you know, verse 31, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with 
him. So you got the picture. Philip's coming alongside. We don't know how long. Don't know if they had any other conversation. Don't know what was going on. Just know that Philip came alongside. And in the course of walking alongside, he saw that he was reading. And he said, and he asked him, you need any help with that? Yeah, man, come on up here. I want you to, to help me with this journey. We don't know exactly what happened, but something happened to cause the Ethiopian to trust Philip enough to invite him in. Something happened for the Ethiopian to trust that it was okay to invite this stranger that he'd never met before to get into his chariot with him and, and, and share with him what he knew. I want you to get that picture. Uh, because it's important that we understand this is not just a story about a biblical character a couple thousand years ago. This is a story about you. This is a story about me. And what it says to me is that if you want to be invited to come up and join, if you want to be invited to come up and share, you've got to earn trust too. You've got to break down the walls. You've got to come alongside. You've got to come near for a minute. In fact, I found a tool just this week. I uh, didn't even have a slide for it because I found it so late in the week and it just jumped off the page when I saw it and I contacted the pastor that I got it from. He said, can I share this with my congregation this weekend because it's just such a practical little tool. You may want to write it down. It's, just, it's based on the word bless. So just think when you're in that position, you've got an open heart, you've got open eyes. Now you, the Lord is directed to somebody, uh, directed you to somebody and it's time for you to, to pray for an open door. Uh, just bless them, Okay. B-L-E-S-S, bless them. The B stands for believe that this is a divine appointment. Again, one of the reasons that we don't share our faith is that we're terrified somehow that we won't have what it takes, we won't have what we need, we won't have answers that they're going to ask questions for, we will fail because we don't have something. But if you begin to understand that what you're doing is going as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and joining a conversation that God's already having, then it's not up to you for this person to come to Christ, it's up to you to come alongside and believe that God's about to do something that's bigger than you are. But you've got to believe it's a divine appointment before anything's going to happen, okay? The L stands for listen. Again, quite often we want to do all the talking, but we fail when we do all the talking. We've got to listen. Mike never would have known what was going on in Aaron's life. He never would have understood the conversation that Aaron and God were having about what he did for a living if Mike didn't shut up a little bit and let Aaron talk a little bit. So sometimes it has more to do with listening than it does talking. And hear me, uh, if you listen long enough, everybody's hurting somewhere. Hello? Everybody's hurting somewhere. And if you listen long enough and, and with trust built, you'll find out. The E stands for eat, and I love this one because I love to eat. But nothing breaks walls down like having a bowl of chili together or, you know, going out to dinner or having a cup of coffee. There's something about it. And so all I'm saying is that coming alongside might be a one-conversation event or it might be a relationship-building event like Mike and Debbie are doing where they're saying, why don't you come to our house, let's have lunch, and we'll talk about the Bible. Maybe there's some opportunities, hey, let's go to dinner. And so there's opportunities to begin to build a relationship. A lot of the people that I've been able to lead to Christ over the years, most of it happened because we met for lunch or we met for breakfast on a completely different subject and over the course of time a relationship was formed a bridge was formed between my heart and that guy and Jesus walked across that bridge 
so that come near may take a little while. That's fine. And maybe there's some opportunities to eat. I will tell you, for those of you that are in a bridge group, one of the most powerful things you can do as a bridge group is to have a cookout. Oh, no, well, our, our group studies the Word of God. Well, great. I'll, I'm glad you do. Have a cookout once in a while. And when you have a cookout, identify the people that are in your life that don't know Jesus yet and invite them. Say, hey, we're going to have a cookout at, at our house on Friday night. A bunch of us are getting together. But no, there's no. Yeah, well, yeah, a bunch of them are from our church. But, but they're just, we're just friends. And we're just going to do hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill. You want to come? And it's amazing how those relationships, they begin to say, well, you guys are weird as I am. <laughs> you guys are crazy as I am. Maybe, maybe there's something to this Jesus thing after all. And so believe, listen, eat, serve. Find a way to serve them. But let, you, let me let you in on a little secret that I learned a long time ago. And that is that, that sometimes the better way to let somebody in is not serve them as much as it is give them a chance to serve you. If you ask somebody to do you a favor that you know they can do and likely would do, they will connect with you faster than if you serve them. Because if you serve them, they then feel obligated to do something. But if they serve you, now they feel like they've got the upper hand. I've seen it happen. I've done it many, many times. Back in the day when I was a gym rat, and yes, there was a day when I was a gym rat, uh, my favorite way to build a relationship and establish a rapport with somebody that I wasn't sure what his spiritual status was. I would, you know, I'd be doing uh, bench work, chest work, and I'd say, dude, would you come spot me for this set? What's the kind of thing that guys in the gym do all the time? Would you spot me? Well, I didn't offer to spot him. I asked him to spot me. What have I done? I've given him an opportunity to serve me, and out of that comes a conversation that ultimately becomes a relationship. So believe, listen, eat, serve, and then share. Out of that relationship that forms, you just share your life. Again, we don't, we don't really know everything that Philip did. Uh, Mike had a 60-minute, a one-hour conversation in Lowe's, but whatever they did, they, earned, they did enough to earn enough trust to take it to the next level. The Ethiopian invited Philip into his chariot when Mike invited Aaron and his wife, Aaron and Lynn, to come to their house, they accepted that invitation. Whatever you do, if you want to be an effective witness, you got to have an open heart, got to have open eyes, you got to work for earning trust so you'll have an open door. And when the time comes, you're ready for the fourth one, I know, you got to have an open mouth. <laughs> Eventually, you got to tell your story. So Philip comes up, gets into the chariot, starts looking at the book together, looking at the book of Isaiah together. The Ethiopian then opens the door for Philip to begin to share in verses 34 and 5. Here we go. The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Well, if you know the book of Isaiah, they're referencing the prophecy about the Messiah that was going to come, which was a perfect entryway for Philip to say, well, actually, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the, the, the Son of God. He's talking about the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so he explains the passage, but immediately begins to segue into telling that Jesus has, in fact, come and that he has died for our sins, and he has risen from the grave, he tells him the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, don't get nervous about this one. That, that does not mean that every 
encounter that you have is going to require you to, to be ready to answer biblical questions about prophecy. That's not what, what we're saying here. Uh, there's a principle behind what's going on here. This guy was a sincere seeker of the truth. Lean in, I want you to miss this. This guy was a sincere seeker of the truth. And Philip was eminently qualified to meet him where he was and answer the questions that he had so that he could bring him to the point that he could introduce him to Jesus. When you have an open heart and open eyes, God will send you to the person that you are eminently qualified to meet them where they are. Philip met him at his point of need. It happened to be answers about the book somebody else's need may be completely different but if this this is a spiritual process guys and so if you recognize I've got an open heart open eyes and and I'm going to join a conversation God's already having he's not going to send you to a situation where you're going to disrupt the conversation he's going to send you into a situation where you're going to aid the conversation because you're eminently qualified to do so you may be surprised by the number of times that uh, that conversation will be about something that you've already been through. And you can say, you know, I've been there. I've been through that. Boy, those are hard, aren't they? And after you share with them a little bit, well, they may well say, well, how'd you get past it? Well, let me tell you about my friend, Jesus Christ. Opportunities come because God knows and he directs. Mike's conversation at Lowe's probably had nothing to do with Jesus for the first 45 minutes. They were probably talking about building techniques. If I know Mike, he was talking about something he's building on his, uh, in his yard or in his backyard or in his shop or something. Or they were talking about tractors or some parts they were buying or whatever. Uh, you know, the conversation is about stuff that connected them in conversation. The first Jew I ever led to Christ was a PhD in human resource development. And I needed to learn how to lead a staff. I was leading a church that was growing at the time. I'd never had a staff before. And so I asked him, would you, would you help me to know how to run a staff meeting would you help me know how to manage staff and would you be willing to do that for me I'll buy you lunch if you'll do that and I started taking him to lunch once a month and within 11 months he began to say so what's this thing about Jesus as we built relationships so you meet people where they are and you meet the need that they have not necessarily about biblical questions God will send you to the right person based on your qualifications. So I'm not saying in order to be prepared to give a reason for the hope, you have to have all your theology nailed down and you've got to have all these Bible verses ready to be explained. Nobody's saying that at all, but it is critical that you have your story. It's very important. If you've never done this before, I let me challenge you to, to give it a shot even this afternoon. S- sit down at a table for a couple of minutes with a pen and paper and write down your story. This is who I was. This is when I met Jesus. And this is who I'm becoming because of that. And be able to tell it in what we call the elevator pitch version. So you're riding in an elevator from some, with somebody from the first floor to the sixth or eighth floor. That's how much time you've got. And you've got to be able to say, this is who I was and I met Jesus and this is who I'm becoming and I haven't arrived but man, I see a road ahead of me that's filled with hope, a reason for the hope. It doesn't say be prepared to answer all the theological questions. That's not what Peter said. It said be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. If you haven't gotten into the growth track yet, let me encourage you to sign up this fall when the growth track comes around again because in growth track 101, we teach you how to write your two-minute testimony. This is who I was. This is how I met Jesus. This is who I'm becoming. All I'm saying is you don't have to understand it all to share what you know. 
I don't have to know as much as Mike knows about cars to say to somebody, you know, there's a better way to get there besides walking. <laughs> there's a thing called a car and you can put a key in it and turn it and it'll, and it'll take you there a lot faster than walking and you'll be rested when you get there. Uh, Mike knows so much more about cars than I've ever known. I don't even want to know. It would hurt my head to know what he knows, right? But I don't have to know all that to introduce somebody to a car and the value of a car. That's all I'm saying is uh, it, it's Okay, Jim, I hear you. That's great for Philip, and that's great for Mike, and and maybe that's great for you and others, but I just don't see myself bold enough to have those kinds of conversations. Well, that's the fifth essential to this whole process, and I'm going to close with this. Can I tell you that I think the biggest difference between the first century church and the 21st century church Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible's the same as it's always been since it was written. The Holy Spirit's been around since the creation, uh, since it began, eternity past. Those things haven't changed. You know the biggest difference between the first century church that reached the known world with the good news of Jesus Christ in a single lifetime and the 21st century church that, let's be honest, is struggling right now? It's holy boldness. It's holy boldness. These guys shared Jesus with everybody that they encountered. Even if they didn't want to listen, they did it. Even when they got in trouble for doing it, they just shared Jesus everywhere. They were. After Peter and John came up to the temple one day and healed the lame man, and, and this revival hit the town, and people started coming to Christ uh, in, by, just by the dozens and even hundreds, uh, they were, the religious leaders of the day got really nervous about all this, so they threw them in jail. So I want you to think about this overnight, and tomorrow morning we're going to meet. And so they bring him in after a night in jail and say, okay, have we gotten your attention? You need to stop talking about this Jesus. And they went, do your worst. I can't quit. (laughs) Do what you got to do. I can't quit. I've been there. I've met him. This is who I was, and then I met him, and this is who I'm becoming, and I'm helping other people to meet him, and I see what's going on in their lives. You got to do your worst because I cannot stop. Scholars tell me that there were probably 250,000 people living in Jerusalem, Judea, the surrounding areas in those days, and as many as 100,000 of them came to Christ in a matter of a few months, and then the gospel spread across the known world. Verse 13 of Acts 4 is one of my favorites. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, these religious leaders realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love the word ordinary in that passage. It's translated in different English words and some of the other paraphrases and translations, but the Greek word in the original manuscript is idiotes. Want to guess what English word we get from idiotes? The religious leaders of of the day are going, we don't get it. This is just a bunch of idiots. But they're changing the world. Why? Because they believe what God said and they acted on it. 
Miss Thelma is one of the first idiots I ever met. When Kim and I were first in ministry together, she came to me one day and told me that she had been praying for her husband, Elbert, for more than 50 years of their marriage. Elbert, the last time Elbert had been in church was when he was 21 to his mother's funeral and he vowed he'd never walk through a church again. Elbert was a hard man. Don't know what hardened him, but he was a hard man. He'd been thrown out of every store in town, literally. Because everywhere he went, he had a cigar in one mouth and profanity, in one side of his mouth and profanity coming out of the other side. The local bank wouldn't let him come in anymore. The local store said, you're not welcome here anymore because he would spew that junk in front of women and children and families and he didn't care. That's just, that was Elbert, just get over it. That's who I am. And Thelma came to me one day and said, Pastor, I'm re I've just really been praying for Elbert and I've been trying to share my faith and would you, would you partner with me in prayer for Elbert? And so we did and no doubt there were others one, uh, one night at dinner, Elbert's just out of the blue, said, uh, I'm going to go to Florence, South Carolina tomorrow and get me some teeth. That's one of those 24-hour denture places where you had to go to. So I'm going to go to Florence tomorrow and get me some teeth. I'm going to go to that revival of yours Friday night. Thelma was so terrified by the statement, she didn't even respond. She just started eating. <laughs> but she called us immediately. This is what Elbert just said. Friday night, the service came, and Elbert wasn't there, and we worshiped together. We had a grand time, great service. Evangelist preached a good message. I can't honestly remember what it was about, but people were really receptive to what he was sharing with us. Sometime during that service, though, Elbert slipped in and sat on the back row. And at the end of that message, the pastor said, or the visiting evangelist said, uh, the altars are open if somebody would like to pray. We've got a team that would love to pray with you. And people started stepping out. They started coming to the altars. And Albert burst through that little country church, almost knocking people out of the way to get to the altar. And he prayed through to Jesus Christ that night. On Saturday, he went around all over the community, stuck his head in every, the door of every store he'd ever been thrown out of. Get the proprietor's attention and say, I know I'm not welcome here, I get it. I just wanted you to know, I gave my life to Jesus last night. And I'm sorry I did all that stuff. Walked his way through the town. Sunday morning, our church was full. That year, our church doubled. Most of that growth was people coming to know Jesus Christ. Because Elbert shared his faith? Well, sure. Because Thelma was faithful. Because Thelma was faithful. I wonder how many Thelmas there are here today. How many, how many idiots are there among us? We're willing to say that guy looks so far from God, he's hopeless. But in fact, that's the one God's having a conversation with. 
I wonder what would happen if we all took this seriously to Wayne County, to Johnston County, beyond. That's what I'm praying for. Just a old-fashioned revival. That's what I'm praying for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the call to testify. Thank you that it is a mandate, that it is a subpoena, that it is not a suggestion, it's not a hint, it's not a if you feel like it, it's a call that you place on the hearts of every follower of Jesus Christ. And I pray here and now that each one of us as we consider these things, as we process through these ideas, that you would give us a holy boldness that can only come from the Holy Spirit himself that whether we are accepted or rejected, whether we are liked or disliked, whether we're thrown in jail is irrelevant. We've been with Jesus and we can't help but tell people about him. I pray for a holy boldness across this congregation, those that are watching online across this world. I pray for a holy boldness that we as followers of Jesus Christ would renew and refresh and restore a desire to be ready, a preparedness to be ready. Share a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me, if you will. If you've never committed your life to Jesus before this moment, please, I beg you, don't leave this room without making that commitment first. It will be the best decision you ever made we'd love to help you with that decision the altars will be open in just a couple of moments but for we who are followers of Christ could we pray this prayer pray it out loud pray it silently but pray Lord open my heart to love people the way you love them Open my eyes to see who you're having a conversation with. Open a door for me to engage them and earn trust. And when the opportunity presents to share, help me to open my mouth and tell my story. Holy Spirit, would you give me the boldness to not shrink back from the call. I'm ready to be an idiot for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.